topic today, identifying the cause of behavior in our kids and handling it well, handling it effectively. You're listening to Val Harrison, the Practically Speaking Mom, and this is your place for an intentional mom to build a strong family. We'll spend the majority of this episode on examples with very young children, but first, we're going to look at families with all ages of kids. When I was a kid and was with my friends, there was this phrase that we'd use when talking about our moms. We'd say, she needs to take a chill pill and be still. (laughs) We thought we were so clever. We wanted our moms to calm down and not overreact, or at least not react to us. I'm sure that most of the time we really deserved to experience some less than pleasant responses to our actions or attitudes. But I do think there's a lesson in here for us moms. How are we looking at the misbehavior of our children? Is it reason for conflict or an opportunity to explore their heart, to discover how they're growing and developing and trying to figure out the world around them? They've got on new eyes with each new stage, and we need to help them. We need to help them see more clearly. I wonder how different our relationships would look if we carefully guarded against anger and frustration and instead sought to figure out our kids' hearts and perspectives and help them learn how to navigate their changes and perspectives and emotions partnered with them. Now, I know that sounds like unrealistic pie-in-the-sky ideas, and I also know I don't get it right all the time. If your relationship with your child is currently fractured, it may especially sound unrealistic. But as long as we are living, there is hope and there is time for growth and change and even miraculous rebounds. Today, I'm meeting for the second time with my daughter, Becca. We're going to actually have three parts to this. You've already listened to one. This is the second one. And next week is going to be about being a mom who's making money and still having time to be a mom. How do we make that happen? And that will be my last episode with with Becca in this little series. But some days, I know it seems like it's me against my kid, her irresponsibility, his bad attitude, her not following through and his big messes. It can be so frustrating, but when I've fallen into that trap, it's not a trap that was set by my child or by me. It was set by the enemy of our souls, who is known as the father of lies. He wants us to believe that our child is our enemy, and our kids often find themselves thinking we're their enemy. Thus, we enter conflict against one another. In my book, Clash in Your Home, Getting a Game Plan for Cleaning Up the Conflict, I say, Satan hates all of God's creation, anything that glorifies God, and one of the main entities in creation that reflects God's glory best is a healthy, loving family. So, he set his aim on families and does whatever he can to steal our joy, kill our relationships, and destroy the family unit. In 1991, while Rich and I were engaged to be married, we attended a conference for engaged couples called A Weekend to Remember. Actually, these events still happen and they're for married and engaged couples. In fact, for our kids' first year of marriage anniversary, we give them a weekend to remember that they can go to one of these events and strengthen their marriage, especially in communication. Anyway, 
Rich and I were at this event and this God-centered weekend, which is designed to help the couple get a better understanding of healthy communication and to identify points of conflict to deal with more effectively. Well, one of the most impactful things that we learned that weekend, and I still remember today, is the concept of two warring animals who get their horns locked as they're headbutting each other. When it comes to families, Satan wants us to believe that our enemy is the other family member. He tries to get us to turn against one another like two stubborn beasts instead of working together as a team. Think of oxen yoked in the same direction to achieve mutual goals, and that's the picture that contrasts the two horn-locked beasts. Too easily, members of our family can stand up against another family member, hands on hips, determined to hold their ground, and sometimes the person with their hands on their hips, acting all defensive and arrogant, is me, the parent. I know, I know, when we hold that little dear child in our arms and they wrap their tiny little fingers around our finger, we think we will never be anything but adoring and blissful with our babies. But when those babies start throwing toys across the room in anger, or getting bigger than that and slamming a door, or shutting us out of their heart. It's easy to think that that growing dear baby of ours is suddenly the enemy. Moms, guard against this lie. Protect your family by putting down your emotional weapons and take a fresh look at the situation. Now, today's podcast is going to be looking at different situations with very young children and common growth stages that could be frustrating and complex for young parents. We'll look at potty training and getting our kids to eat healthy foods and other topics that come up when you've got littles in the house. But if you have kids that are past this young age, I have a free resource for you on my website. Go to practicallyspeakingmom.com, click on resources, and look for the family communication evaluation form. You can find it helpful in identifying some changes your family could make to get you both faced in the same direction, working toward each other's good. And don't keep this evaluation form to yourself either. Show it to your family. Help your kids to become more aware of the enemy's tactics and more aware of their own attitudes and actions and choices and behaviors that affect relationship and affect communication. At our house, that would sound something like, hey guys, I think we're starting to attack one another instead of attacking the issue. This might even be spiritual battle that we have going on here. Instead of letting this hurt our family relationship, let's take a step back and remember that we're not each other's enemy. And if we have a winner and a loser in this issue, then our relationship loses. We need to find the right answer for the situation, not a right person. So let's work together and figure this out. Stay on the alert for the tendency to be two warring animals and instead see yourself as one team seeking the best good for all involved by solving problems together. Now, when our children are very young, toddlers, preschoolers, they're not ready to understand these concepts, but we still have to be on guard from getting frustrated at our child as they go through different stages. Some of those stages are exhausting for us as parents, but we need to spend our efforts and energy 
trying to identify what's going on inside of our child's heart, what's going on inside of our child's mind, what's going on inside of our child's body too, because we know that when we don't feel good, it certainly affects our behavior and our outlook. And it's the same with our kids. Today, we're going to be looking at different examples for these younger ones as they are progressing through different stages. The two-year-old is my grandson, Asher. The three-year-old is my grandson, Jamie. And their mom is my daughter, Becca. She's joining us for day two of this discussion. And next week, she and I'll wrap up our conversation by talking about juggling being a mom and earning income. Can it really be done? Well, most mamas today find themselves in the situation where they must bring in some income, but want to be a very involved and intentional mom. We're going to talk about that next week in our final week of discussion with Becca. So let's pick up where we left off last time. Okay, so on to Jamie. Right now, he's doing something surprising. I'm always surprised as my grandsons hit different, um, you know, the negative issue stages. Because, of course, I think they're just awesome and perfect. And, <laughs> and so I'm always just a little shocked when I see something happen. But then at the same time, I've had seven kids. And I just know this is just the next step, the yeah. next stage, the the next developmental thing. He is learning how to live in this world, yeah. how to navigate life. And so facing it is, is what helps. Okay. So here's what, what I've been seeing is him saying no, you know, which is just a surprising behavior to see from him because I know how proactive and intentional of a mom you are. And I know that that's not an acceptable standard to you. And you've been really patient with that, uh, in him, but also you don't just let it happen. You don't blow it off. You address it every time. Um, and something that I love that you do is if they have a strong acting out, if, if there's a group of us and there's a strong acting out, you immediately grab them up and take them out of the room and deal with them somewhere else, which is great. Can you tell us why do you do that? Well, for one, it just removes distraction. So they are able to focus on me a lot more easily. So, you know, I mean, especially little boys, but really any young child is going to be easily distracted by everything around them, right? So if you remove the distractions, it it helps them focus a lot better. It helps them hear what you're saying. But also, um, respect is a really big deal to us. So we obviously teach them res- to respect us and honor us, but I want them to see that from us to them as well, that it's, I think it's easy to forget that, especially when they're, you know, when they're infants, it's kind of a different story, but as they grow into toddlers and now preschoolers, like I'm dealing with, it's easy to forget that they, they do notice, they do hear, they, they catch on to what you're saying and the different undertones that are being said and talked about and, um, the different things that are going on around them. So they really, like the few times that I, that I do 
just address it right there and don't take them out. It's very obvious how embarrassing that is for them and how it kind of makes them shut down. It really makes them like all eyes are on me. Everybody sees this silly thing that I did and I wasn't even thinking through it. And now everybody thinks this about me, you know, so it, it creates a label in their mind on themselves even that young, even as young as two and three, I, I truly see it when I'm not paying attention to, to honor their, you know, how they might be feeling in a situation. So yeah. that's the biggest reason I do it is it truly makes a difference in how they, they see themselves and how they feel safer with me, I think. And they feel that they can trust me because they know I'm going to, I'm not going to be talking about them with, you know, I mean, right now they don't even know what talking behind their back is probably, (laughs) but I'm not talking about them in front of them, which I feel like is not what I've seen a lot in, in, young children, parents of young children, because you don't think about it. You know, they're, they can't really communicate back with that yet. So you just don't even think about it and you start talking about it. But they catch on. Yeah, they do. And I have to say, I am good and bad on this myself as a mom. If I'm around anyone that's not our family, I'm really good at it. I am not ever going to get on one of my kids in front of other people ever because it affects their labels that that they are placing on themselves. It affects the labels that they believe other people are placing on them. And the labels they wear has everything to do with who they become and how yeah. they behave yeah. and what the decisions they make. So I'm very careful about that when, when other people are present, but I am not careful enough about it within the family unit, mm-hmm. like getting on each. I mean, there are some things that I absolutely take them in another room and deal with, but I'm not proud of the fact that I honestly struggle with this. I'm an impatient person mm-hmm. who wants to deal with it right now. And quite honestly, you're exactly right that anybody else being in the room adds quite a lot of extra issues yeah, to the, to the issue. They're not focused on what you're saying to them. They're focused on what is this person thinking? What right. are they doing? You know, I mean, right. even I'm like that. Absolutely. If I, when I was, um, I, I'm a work from home mom now, so I don't have a boss with my business that I'm in. But when I was in the working field and I was, you know, if I, if my boss needed to address something with me, if there was anybody else around, yeah. I could not think about that. I was all in my head about, oh my gosh, what are they thinking? And how right. is this affecting my relationship with my coworkers? You know, so yes. even as adults, that's huge. It's just as big for kids. Absolutely. They, they don't necessarily realize that that's what's going on with them, but you can see if you look for it, um, even if my husband is getting on to one of the kids in, in our room and I walk in without realizing what's going on or something, it instantly changes the tone, even yeah. though, yeah, even yeah. among the parents, among the siblings. But I mean, to your, to your point about that being a struggle for you, I only have two and that's a struggle for me. So, so when you've got multiple kids running around and, there's so many issues that come up all the time because that's kids, yeah. you know, it is really hard to make that a dedicated point, but I do think it is a very formative. Yeah. And thing. when they're little, it's it, even if you have to stay in the room, like if I have multiple kids in the room at a time and I feel like yeah. I can't leave the room, 
literally just picking them up, moving to them to another spot, getting down eye to eye with them, holding their hands in your hands. And for sure, I'm always saying whether, whether I'm right there in their face or whether I'm across the room, if they are a little person, I'm always saying first, let me see your eyes. Yes. So so I have full attention with them. Um, but the, the action of lifting them out of the the moment, out of the situation Mm -hmm. and moving them to another spot, getting down on the level, getting close proximity, getting your hands in their hands, saying, let me see your eyes. And you're looking mm-hmm. at each other and whispering it. Yeah. It still can help bring quite a lot of emphasis yet focused um, separation uh, to the situation. Yeah. So it's not always possible to pull them out of the room or, you know, whatever, but um, just being aware of those goals is, yeah. is so valuable. Okay, but let's talk about the specific aspect of Jamie's age. This no, no, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a few things that are going on here. One thing is he's aware of the fact that he's at a new level of life. He understands things more. He's capable of more. And so he is also at a new stage of testing the parents, testing them to find out how solid are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. How much will you put up with? Yeah. How much can I get away with here? Do you really mean the boundaries that you yeah. say? So that's, that is one thing that I see that he's doing right now is he's testing out what he can get away with and what level of authority his parents have in his life. So that's one thing. I'm also, I, I can see that his mental ability has really improved lately. And I recognize this from his complexity of humor. The fact that he understands humor, the fact that he can create humor himself. Um, I'm just seeing this level of complexity in his thought processes. He knows a lot. He yeah. knows what's going on in situations. And so he's definitely analyzing on a deeper level and he's testing to see. Yes. <laughs> Do- I feel like we're his experiment. <laughs> they always say yeah, that they true. always yeah. say that the first child is the parents' experiment, but I feel like this. <laughs> I yeah. feel like it's the opposite, also. <laughs> yes, yes. So you are great at looking for clues to both their mental capability of understanding, and then also mm-hmm. talking to them at that ability level. We can parent without talking about why mm-hmm. we're saying what we're saying, but it really calling them out and saying, I know what you're attempting here. And I want you to know I am mom and this is the limit I've set. This is the standard I've set. And this mm-hmm. is how it's going to be. And one of those standards is you don't tell me no. Now you can say, no, thank you. You can say, stop, please. And I'm going to honor you just like I expect you to honor everybody else in your Mm -hmm. life. But you cannot just flat out tell me no. So anyway, that's a fun, fun little, fun little thing you're getting to deal with there. (laughs) Uh, So you continue as parents to establish your authority over and over again. However, I, I love, love that you brought up the issue of mutual respect because that does start at, you know, from the beginning. And 
it is critical to maintain it throughout yeah. the years. So while the relationship is going to change, well, well, it starts out, it's sort of like a, a triangle. If you think of that, your, the boundaries that you have with your kids is very narrow at first and it's gradually growing and growing and widening and widening. But always, as long as they live at your house, um, you set the standards for your home and you have mutual respect all along the way, but those standards don't budge. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest thing is just, um, helping them to continue to know that. So good job for that. Now let's talk about one more aspect of that though, that I'm seeing at Jamie's age at three and a half is I think because his mental capacity has recently really grown, which, which let's address that for just a second. You know, I talked about this. It seems like kids grow in six month stages. Well, I believe that from, you know, having seven kids and them going through all these stages all these years is that for about six months, they have some physical development and behavior development issues that seem to last for about six months. And then they spend six months in like their mental growth is happening. So it's like six months of physical, six months of mental. Um, so I believe he just must have just come through a mental growth spurt. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's quite ready for more complex thought. And I really think that he's getting bored with the level of play that he is experiencing now. I think he is ready for some regular and probably a almost hourly mental challenge every month. It doesn't have to be, I don't mean an hour's worth of mental challenge every hour. I mean like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, probably 15 minutes max of mental challenge because his mind is just ready for that kind of focus. So I, I think as kids are given the amount of mental focus that they need throughout the day, it really cuts back on their orneriness and on their kind of acting out to, to the boredom. They're almost mm-hmm. mad at the boredom. And you'll really see this in kids if, you know, back at your grade at not giving them too much technology or screen time. But kids who get a lot of screen time or technology time, you see a lot more acting out. Mm-hmm. And they need some, some seriously some mental challenge. And they need it not just once a day. They need it sprinkled throughout the day. And which is why I have my book, um, When Littles Are Loud, Maximizing the Moments Without Drowning on Chaos. A whole main section of the book is on scheduling that mental growth and how that looks in a day and lots of different ideas for doing that. But I do yeah. think that that's one thing that, that is going on with him is that he just moved to a new level of mental development and he's ready for some more mental challenge. That makes a lot of sense because really the last several months leading up to this new, she's not saying it because she's being sweet, but he's definitely in a behavior stage. (laughs) We've had a lot of behaviors we've been dealing with with him and we are still definitely in that. I feel like the first, so you, you say they're about six months, which I think as far as the boys have gone, I definitely see that pattern. Obviously not to a T, but definitely sometimes, I mean, really on his third birthday, like the week after we started seeing a difference in him. I think sometimes mm-hmm. they really are. Yeah. You could probably set your calendar to them. Sometimes they're a little bit looser than that. But 
um, generally, yeah, about yeah. <laughs> about six months is what it has been. And the stage we're just coming out of, there was a lot less behavior and I feel like less clashing between me and James, but that he was a lot more easily overwhelmed and a lot just shorter attention span, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense that, yeah, we were seeing like, it seemed like he had more mental stuff going on that he couldn't handle very much. Yeah. That really makes sense that he had the behavior or the, the mental milestone development mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. And cause yeah, we're seeing him point out letters now that, you know, I would yeah. literally do letters time every day faithfully for yeah, months, and he, and he would literally it. respond to you know none of it and right, then right. all of a sudden it clicks you yes, know and yes. yeah so definitely yeah. that pattern lines up yeah well let's shift gears to potty training you are you know basically totally done with jamie and potty training um he has definitely not had any accidents and getting to be around him for a week you know, he's really got that down, sleeping in underwear, no more diapers at all with him. And then you've got Asher, who's two and a half. And so tell us, what are some things that worked with Jamie? How did that look? What are some things that didn't work that you will do differently next time? Mm-hmm. Just just tell us how it went with potty training Jamie and what you learned from it. Well, Jamie, I feel like was probably not a super normal case because... One, he is a very particular boy. He's very clean. He does not, I mean, literally, if he gets food on his hands at supper, he cannot take another bite until he's had a napkin to wipe them off. You know, so he's yeah. a very clean, particular boy. So that, um, that I think helped. But also, all of last year, we were first starting in January. We remodeled our house through April and then we sold it and moved into our new house in June. And then, you know, so it was a very very difficult. Yes. We lived at my mother-in-law's for a month while we were in the part of the remodel process and then selling process. So it was a very much a transition year. So I honestly wanted to potty train him sooner and just did not because I don't think that yeah. would have been good <laughs> in yeah. all the transition. But honestly, I'm kind of thankful for that because yeah. him being a little bit older, um, he honestly, as far as potty goes, he trained himself. He just started one day. I'm not, not a hundred percent. It still took, you know, work on my part, but, um, after about a week in of him having dry diapers, you know, we would, we would take him potty and it would just be a fun, exciting thing. And I did not, I didn't set timers or schedule mm-hmm. it or anything mm-hmm. like that. I was like, I'm kind of waiting to see more of a sign for him and just for us to get more settled in our house. And about a week in, I realized, I don't know that he's had a wet diaper at all this week. I think he's only been going when when I just see that his diaper is dry and say, Hey, let's go potty, you know? So I started actually paying attention and he, even through the night was staying dry. He literally did that, did that part himself. So I was like, Oh, this is awesome. He's going to be a breeze and started having him wear underwear and, you know, started the potty chart and he would get a little gummy bear or even he loves raisins. So he would get a raisin as his potty candy trying to be a little more healthy. 
But the number two was a huge struggle. So for whatever reason, which I heard that from a lot of people that boys especially struggle with that. I don't know. I did not research into it really. So I don't know any science behind it. But that part, I I thought it was going to be a breeze. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go all the way and we'll start setting the timers. And we would literally have him sit on the potty chair for half an hour we would put on a potty show for him you know there's stuff all over the youtube that's like little shows trying to help potty train so we would even put that on to help him sit longer and he would literally refuse to do number two in the toilet so that was a probably two or three month long struggle Finally, we just, we, cause we tried several different methods and I think the more we tried, the more it was stressing all of us out. So I think a big thing was just having to learn to really wait till he was ready to let it happen. Yeah. <laughs> cause I think he, like we were kind of talking earlier, he's a personality that is very quick to think I can't do it. And a lot of things, you know, you can kind of show them, oh, yes, you actually can. With that, you really, you don't have any power over that. So, <laughs> so I think I was pressuring him so hard. He could tell how badly I wanted it to happen that he really seemed to get in his head about it and just be like, just shut down with the pressure. So it was a good learning experience for me to just be more relaxed about it. He would never, like, he wouldn't get in trouble when he would have accidents in his pants, but he could see how disappointed we were and just, oh my goodness, when is this going to happen, you know? So um in hindsight, I feel like if I had been more relaxed about it and more just understanding of the fact that I truly have no control over that aspect. A lot of things as a parent, like yeah. you really are, you should have control over, but that aspect really ultimately you don't. So I think the more pressure I was putting on him, the more stressed he was and almost the more incapable he was of it. Yeah. I Something with kids, as especially in these early years where there's literally so many little stages of development Something that I noticed was the healthy cycle of it seems to be you introduce it to them uh, with an excited celebration of mm-hmm. whatever this new thing is. It could be buying a tricycle even, you know, or buying a potty seat, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever the little uh, milestone is. And so you introduce it to them and they experience it and they are not ready. And so the next step can be frustration and forcing or you can just kind of not entirely set it aside, but let it be an occasional experience, Mm -hmm. an occasional positive experience. And then pretty soon it, you know, you, you give another introduction of it again. And so basically it's another trial run of, are they really ready now? And so you reintroduce it with another introduction and another celebration and a, and a major trialing of it and see if they are. And if they're not, no problem. Let's, let's go back to making it a, a back burner, you know, occasional mm-hmm. or, you know, it's there, but I'm not making a big deal of it. And then let's introduce again. So I, I really feel like that kind of introduction with celebration and then, back burner, no big deal, but still there a part of life. And then introduction and celebration again is kind of an important thing, both for parents' peace, 
and and joy of life and child's peace and joy of life. Mm -hmm. But that seems to work best. So really that's what you're describing there. And what something that you can be doing as you go through this process of the introduction and celebration and try it out and it's not quite ready and waiting again. In that waiting time, you can establish some new good habits with it. For example, if it is potty training, then this is a great time to teach them really good hand washing skills. This is a time where you can teach them the habit of really good, always flush, always put the seat down. Um, you know, these, these kind of habits or, oop, uh, there's a little spill of it. Uh, we will get a piece of toilet paper and we will clean up the spill. And then we will flush and then we will close the lid and then we will wash our hands. So all of those habits can be being established even before the actual physical constant ability to be potty trained takes place. So if parents can just think of this, of this cycle of introduction with celebration, try it out, not ready yet, no problem. We're going to teach a new habit with it and keep it on the back burner and not a big deal. And then introduction, celebration, trial, period, new habit. Just just work through life that way. I remember with our first one, getting her a tricycle and all the other kids her age were, were riding their trikes and she could not get pedaling down. And I was so frustrated. And, and as a new mom's, you know, first kid to do this thing, you're you're like creating such giant problems in your mind. Oh my goodness, is this kid going to be able to ever go to college? Yes. They can't pedal their bicycle. Yes. You know, we yeah. just everything looms so huge and it's not it's not. Just keep the cycle going. Yeah. Um and and keep the stress away as much as you can and and that's what seems to work, but you were right about something else and that is that there are certain things that as parents we cannot literally force. We cannot force a kid to swallow food. We cannot force a kid to literally fall asleep. We cannot force a kid to literally go to the bathroom. So that doesn't mean that there's not standards, there's not boundaries, there's not habits that can be developed around it. Yeah. Okay, let's move to the food tricks. What are you feeding your preschool age kids and what are some tricks that you have about healthy eating? Oh boy, this is <laughs> meal times are are definitely a new adventure for us. I feel like we started out from the very beginning feeding very healthy. You know, the first several foods the both boys ate until they were almost weaned was pretty much just fruits and vegetables, you know, very, we've, we're pretty health minded family. So we eat pretty clean, pretty fresh. Um, and we're, whatever this phase is with Jamie that we were just talking about earlier is involving mealtimes also. So definitely that's been a struggle, which has kind of surprised me because he's never been picky before. And that's been a new adventure for sure. But one, probably the biggest thing that helps when he is having a picky moment. And honestly, they're more picky about like, they don't want to eat their meat than they will eat their vegetables, which I'm like, that's, mm. I'm all for vegetables, but yeah. not when you wake up at two in the morning hungry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you got to have some substance too. So what I do is 
try to, you know, pay close attention to what the motivating foods are. What are the things, you know, obviously if there's a treat involved, but usually if we're having a fruit salad with supper, I will do, I will have him, give him his serving of whatever item that he'll be picky about first and tell him, look what you get when you finish this serving. You know, I make it an exciting thing and every bite he takes, oh my goodness, you're so close to getting it, you know? So I try to keep the mind on the prize, eye on the prize, as opposed to like, you have to finish this before you can have anything else. You know what I mean? Um, And that definitely is a big help. I do notice, unfortunately, I would love it if they were able to regulate themselves with eating a little bit more. (laughs) But obviously, you know, that's, that's not always going to be realistic. So the more focused I am on them at mealtimes, the better it does go. If I get distracted, you know, at lunchtime, a lot of times I'll want to be putting away the dishes and cleaning up the kitchen and prepping for supper that night and things like that. And if it's a meal that they're going to be picky about, usually if I am distracted, the food ends up on the floor or in their cup Mm, or fed to the dog, you know, so it leads to a lot more frustration as opposed to if I am sitting down with them. Okay, we're all going to take bites together, you know. So it takes a lot more being aware on my part. And you can't expect them to be different. They're two and three. So we always sit down to dinner together. But um, even then, if Dakota, my husband and I get talking and not paying attention in a conversation, you know, so the more attention we're paying, the better it goes and the less conflict there is following and then, yeah, using using whatever things they do like as the motivator. So I try to always have at least one motivating food <laughs> in yeah. the in the supper plan. Whether it's I try to keep it a fruit so that it's not you know too much junk that they're getting. But um, or if we're having tacos that night, I say, okay, you eat the taco filling and then you get the chips or yeah. you know things like that. Well, and I've noticed you're really good about you've identified that if they have a snack after their nap. Oh, then, yeah. then they don't eat supper very well. Yeah. And then they're hungry in the middle of the night because they didn't eat supper very well. So you're really good about being disciplined with that, which when they're at grandma's house, I just want to give them. <laughs> and then I, you know, hurt their sleep that night. So anyway, so that that's helpful too. Do you have any tricks for hiding healthy food? And I mean, kind of your kids almost don't need that because even, you know, Jamie, he ate the part that he didn't want to eat. The other day, you know, you did this very thing of, you know, telling them these are the, this is the parts of the food you're, supper you're going to mm-hmm. like, and you'll get those after you do this. So he ate the thing that he didn't want to eat. And then he was like, okay, I would like some, um, you know, whatever. I don't even remember what it was, but the things that you had told him that he liked. And he said, and salad, please. So he, he's really, they've learned to like the healthy things. So maybe you don't have to have any tricks of hiding the healthy and the, yeah, in the food. Usually, usually it's the meat that I have to hide. <laughs> they really are weird boys. Yeah. I always heard that boys liked meat so much, and that mine would eat fruits and vegetables all day and could care less yeah. about the meat. But so with that, I feel like the smaller it is, the better. Yeah. yeah. So if you're having or with salad, honestly, up until a few months ago, I couldn't get them to eat fresh greens. Obviously they like fresh fruit, you know, most, most kids like some form of fresh fruit, but vegetables are usually more of a struggle. They, you know, lower sugar content, all that. So, um, I would literally chop up the lettuce super small. I had one of those hand choppers that 
Yeah. You know, helps make it a lot easier. And I would chop it up really small and I would just mix it in with whatever dish they were having. Yeah. And usually they couldn't even notice. And then the more, uh, and I would just try to make it look like a yummy thing that I was having. Like, ooh, mommy gets lettuce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, having like dressings can be kind of ruin your salad if you're eating unhealthy dressings on it it kind of defeats the purpose so i try to keep healthy dressings in the house so that um because that does help the flavor a lot so they like to dip they love dipping sauce they call it so if we're so with chicken like if they're if they're not wanting to eat their meat that night i get out a what a, one of our healthy sauces yeah. say okay you can have some dipping sauce if you know like if yeah. you're gonna eat the chicken with it don't just stick your fingers in the sauce and lick that out because definitely the, they yeah. would if i let them but yeah um trying to make it a little bit well same for you you know i mean a lot of adults have the same issue if you're not gonna like it they won't like it either yeah so trying to figure out what ways healthy ways you can make it a little more appetizing right. Well, you've found other good ways to get them protein besides meat, too. Like, you give them avocado and Greek yogurt and almond butter. So, you know, you've definitely worked in those other healthy proteins along the way. I do find the later in the day, obviously, you know, this is true in all areas of kids. I think the more tired they are, the more behaviors. So, I try to get in their healthiest meal at breakfast when they're the most hungry. Yeah. And like get in the most protein yeah, and that's nutrients. Your eggs then. Being another, yeah. yeah. They so, eat so many eggs. They do. They love them. They do. Yeah. So yeah. I try to get in the most nutrients at the beginning of the day so that if it's just a night where we're all super done and we don't have any patience, because definitely we have those nights, right. then I don't have to stress like, oh, they didn't get their nutrients today. They're going to be hungry tonight, whatever, yeah. because yeah. they already got them in that morning. Or right. In lunch. Yeah. Which, so just that topic specifically really affects bedtime at all ages of kids. Oh yeah. The way the getting the right nutrients in them in the daytime, enough calories and enough nutrients absolutely impacts the quality of sleep that night. For about the first 18 years of our child's life, we're not just trying to keep them safe till they drive off into adulthood. You and I love our kids, and we so desire to bless their lives in every possible way all along the way. And yet, many days, they can drive us a little crazy, and we're confused, and and we feel like we're their experiment. Often, before I know it, I'm caught up in the issue forgetting the big goal of maintaining influence, of mutual respect, of setting a good example, of shaping their heart more than shaping their outward behavior. I hope that the conversation today between Becca and I was helpful to you for maybe helping you evaluate some of your own perspectives and how you handle the different stages that your child reaches. Now, I hope that you will also find a minute today to go to my website, practicallyspeakingmom.com, click on resources and find the free family communication evaluation form. Fill it out, pray about it, strategically begin reshaping the way your family handles new life stages and emotions and conflict and crisis. While you're on the website, be sure to enter your email address at the bottom of the page to be added to my weekly email list. Each Monday, you'll receive a blog post that contains a link to this podcast and join in the conversation in my private Facebook community, Intentional Mom Strong Family. Then 
We'll see you here next week for more intentional parenting.